0: Hello and welcome back, La Liga fans. This is the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. I'm your host, professional soccer player, Alex Compsia, joined by El Profesor Chris Mumford, professor of innovation. What's up, Chris?
1: Not much, not much. What a week of football we're having. What a week it
0: has been. We also got coach slash expert analyst Scott Martin, who gets bragging rights this week over me with Real Madrid taking out Barcelona in El Clásico. What's going on, Scott? Doing great. <laughs> there he is, wearing the shirt. I did not wear my Barcelona shirt today, obviously. Oh, man, you got to rep in the down times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are dark times to be an FC Barcelona fan. But as we mentioned, Real Madrid took all three points in an impressive performance against FC Barcelona, which we're going to dissect shortly. Sevilla lost again, this time to Eibar 1-0. Atletico Madrid beat Betis with Suarez scoring once again late. And Real Sociedad is staying red hot in a 4-1 thumping of Huesca, an impressive performance from David Villa to take them to top spot in La Liga this week. This means going into the week, into the end of the week, the table has Real Sociedad first, Real Madrid second, Granada third with a solid win over Getafe, Villarreal fourth, Atletico Madrid fifth, Cadiz in sixth, and then FC Barcelona and Sevilla finding themselves 12th and 13th, respectively, with back-to-back losses. Yikes. Champions League and Europa League featured this past week, as well, with Sevilla tying Chelsea 0-0. Barcelona smashing Ferenc Fides- 5-1. Atletico Madrid losing to Bayern 4-0. And Real Madrid losing to Shakhtar 3-2. In Europa League, Granada beat PSV 2-1. Real Sociedad beat Rijeka 1-0, and Villarreal had a thriller against Sivas poor, winning 5-3. Gentlemen, so much football happening so fast. Is there any particular results, storylines, or players that have really stood out to you this past week? start with you, Chris.
1: Well, I think in the beginning of the season, we talked about how everything was going to be messy, um, as in M-E-S-S-Y. Uh, it has actually not been messy very much at all, M-E-S-S-I, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think it's, tr- it's true to form. You look at the table. Um, you look at the fact that players have to play every three days. Uh, and, you know, we're only a few weeks into the season. And it seems like we've got a lot of dead legs. Uh, out of curiosity, Alex, what what is it like playing games every three days and what's the recovery like after two or three weeks of the same thing
0: yeah i was just i was just thinking about that earlier too There's a lot of games in a short amount of time we're seeing a lot of injuries happen i mean chiellini we just talked about off air it could be out for for six months you know there's there's some injuries potentially with uh, with real madrid and barcelona too and yeah th- this is this is going to be a really Dark, You know, end of the end of the year, in my opinion, Um, it's, it's not easy to, to play, you know, every three days and expect to, you know, really improve because, you know, in the middle you're recovering, like you said, Chris, let's say you play on Saturday, then you're spending Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, just straight recovery. You know, the guys that didn't play as much might do, you know, a six v six or a five v five to stay sharp. But where you really have to be engaged is mentally because let's say you're a team like Sevilla right now, who's not doing so well, a team like FC Barcelona right now, who is not doing so well. You'd Kuhlman doesn't have time if we're using Barcelona's case to really turn that around in terms of getting reps in. So that's where it gets really challenging. You find yourselves, you know, in these momentum switches. And if you can get into the wrong side of that momentum, you have a situation right now where, you know, an FC Barcelona is, is not doing exceptionally well. Or maybe even a Sevilla in La Liga is not doing exceptionally well. And on the other hand, Sociedad, Real Madrid has responded to that momentum you know, in an upward slant. So it's, it's very difficult. And I think it's going to continue to be difficult with this COVID crisis that continues to get worse. We hear about Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, testing positive and has to miss two weeks. That is crucial. So we'll get into that as well. Um, Scott, is there is there anything that's been standing out to you lately in this crazy year?
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, following up on your point, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so much chaos is because you, you have some teams that don't have much depth, so they have to keep playing the same players, or almost the same players every three days. Barcelona, even Atletico, there's so much rotation in these early weeks. That it just doesn't I mean, look at Real Madrid's case this past week. You know, they they had the shock loss to Cadiz. They followed that up with I think eight new players in the starting lineup against Shakhtar, lost that game as well. And then I think you know what we see is Zidane's preferred eleven against Barcelona. So just so much rotation from the, the big sides, and you can see that lack of fluid play as they're heavily rotated. And, you know, the upside is that maybe you preserve the legs and you have to deal with fewer injuries. The downside is that things are going to get messy. And, you know, that, I think, has to be the expectation for for coaches, players, fans, and analysts.
0: Exactly. And messy is definitely the word of the day, M-E-S-S-Y. So let's go into our Champions League in Europe recap here, Sevilla tied Chelsea 0-0, as we've mentioned, in a stalemate. It saw Sevilla have the majority of possession with 57%, but ultimately they could not unlock a very defensive-minded Chelsea led by Frank Lampard. Barcelona smashed Finns Fados 5-1. Messi won a beautiful PK after a run slot at home. Fati was in form. Coutinho got his goal as well. But it saw Gerard Piquet get a weird, you know, awkward red card at the end there. Um, and that means he's going to miss that Juventus game. Luzman Dembele got his goal and Barcelona looked looked good going into El Clásico. Um, but switching gears, Real Madrid lost to Shakhtar in a shock loss, quite honestly, losing 3-2. Um, the, big, the big deal there was Sergio Ramos got... You know, he wasn't part of that back line. And I think we see a different player. We've had this discussion before in Rafael Varane, you know, poor performance from him in that game. Marcelo defensively wasn't great, but offensively was decent. And Thibaut Courtois, don't think he had his best game either, Chris, but really responded in El Clasico afterwards. Yeah, so
2: it was the heavy rotation. And yeah, with Sergio Ramos, Um, you had to, uh, unfortunately, they had a rough first half. Better in the second, I thought, he and Verran started to show some sort of chemistry. But by that point, the damage was done. So I think there were a number of times in the first half where, you know, we just kept seeing the two outside backs, Marcelo and Mendy, getting caught behind both center backs who were way up in the midfield pressing. And so there would be this, you know, this semicircle, where Shakhtar could just penetrate right through the middle play very direct and and that was their game plan from the start so Real Madrid gave them exactly what they wanted from the get-go and we're down three nothing at halftime but so I mean the defensive issues at the back line that was an obvious red flag but when you really look at the way the game was played Real Madrid kind of played with the high press uh you know they were at least up the pitch but there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on the ball carrier and there were always easy outlets for Shakhtar. We saw Casemiro going way up the pitch to, you know, almost even with the forwards to help with the press and Rodrigo and Asensio just kind of got lost in the shuffle. So Casemiro goes up to help them. Modric and Valverde don't really give the, the coverage that Mar- uh, Casemiro needed. And so that fell on the center backs and both went. And that's where I think, you know, Ramos's presence really does make that big of a difference because when he's in, he's the guy who goes into the midfield. He's the one who gives coverage for Casemiro if he has to step. And Varane covers Ramos. I don't think Varane and Millie had that worked out going into. So big issue, um, massive pockets of space between the lines for Shakhtar and they punished Real Madrid. I mean that first half was ugly from Real Madrid's perspective.
1: Hey Scott, last week we talked about the idea of uh basically does the Galactico model work anymore? Uh you know, Shakhtar came in with a system and they came in just fearless and hungry, you know, kind of leads hungry, if you will. And I just wonder if, if maybe system can't overcome Galactico, but on any given Tuesday or Wednesday, system plus intensity can. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, um, I think we definitely saw that with this match, and this is a shock to our team. Remember, they were missing ten players who were out with uh, COVID, so that's. You know, basically, they're starting 11. They had like four regulars for this team. Uh, I'm trying to recall. They had all three subs were 20 or younger. And I want to say eight of the 11 starters were 23 or younger. So this was basically their B team. <laughs> so they had a couple of key players in key positions. But otherwise, yeah, we saw system. We saw... I think the hunger of these youth players to really show up and prove themselves. And you know, we saw the, the trust they had in, in their coach Castro. Um, so they were, they were willing to sit back. They were willing to put in the work. And you know, I, I don't know if Real Madrid took them lightly because of their issues. Uh, you know, it's a, a smaller club anyways, you know, biggest in Ukraine, a team that you always expect to contend in the Europa league. But not so much in the champions league you know it's rare that they make the knockout stages
0: right what's interesting about shaktar too is you know their recruiting model is excellent and i don't know what scouts they have down there in brazil but they are able to pull out these brazilians at a young age and chris and scott you guys both mentioned the word hungry these guys are insanely hungry insanely hungry for an opportunity to showcase themselves at the highest level you'll get players like dentinho tete dodo those guys have all made you know really great impacts on the team you've had William in the past and you know they're just a team that a club really that is well coached they're always ready to play and hungry and going at teams and they won this tactical battle early on. And my my highlight, too, was like you said, Scott, the fullbacks. The line was all out of place. You'd have the center back stepping and then the fullbacks wouldn't go. Mendy looked a little awkward on the right-handed side, which is obviously always going to happen with the left-footed player. The encouraging thing, though, for me was was Real Madrid's midfield. I thought they weren't particularly poor they were they were decent and i know you've really been looking forward to seeing casemiro back in the lineup we had this discussion last week and also Federico valverde because he offers something different than that traditional midfielder that just sits in there he really bumps forward and causes a lot of issues and then i think we saw that more in, in the second half jovic up top was i don't know what we can really say anymore about Jovic it's kind of like he's in the same space as Antoine Griezmann right now with this with this big money signing and this goes back to your Galactico point Chris is maybe that's not the model anymore maybe maybe that's just not it to sign these big time superstars and it, it doesn't work out but on the other hand you've you have had big time superstars such as you know the Cristiano Ronaldo's of this world they do work out so who's to say I'm not sure but uh, obviously, disappointing result for Real Madrid. They responded well, counterattacks the story in that game. But then Bayern Munich goes and absolutely demolishes Atletico Madrid. Kingsley Coman, in particular, put on a real show in this one, and he really showcased why you know he is one of the most, if not the most dangerous player one v one attacking in wide spots in this game. Would you agree, Chris and Scott?
1: I think that's a, that's a tough position. That's why I'm hesitating because there's some already very good players there, uh, particularly youngsters. So, um, I don't know if I'm ready to hand and the crown over to him quite yet.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: But Scott, what's, what's your take on it?
2: I'll say that between he and Dave, probably the most dangerous left side in the world. I don't, know if, I don't know if I'd give it to Koman on his own, but between the two of them, knowing that defenses can't overcompensate by sending an extra defender because you've got Lewandowski lurking in the box. Yeah, left side and a great run by Koman on that. I think it was the first goal. First goal, yeah. Yeah, ball over the top, yeah.
0: Yeah, Kimmich makes an absolute you know, beauty of a, a drill of a ball uh, over to Coman, making a late run on that left-handed side. I, can, I think Kimmich has five assists in his last four Champions League games, something ridiculous like that. Um, Goretzka's second goal, he's been super impactful for Bayern. Um, again, good work from Coman on that goal, where he he chops and works it over to Goretzka and he finishes. And then Tolisso, with arguably the goal of the week, uh, smashes the ball in the top right-hand corner. I don't think there's anything that the goalkeeper can do there. And then that last goal is why I'm making his case. Kingsley Coman's case is, you know, he goes through with just an amazing pace and then chops inside with this Ronaldo chop on his back heel and then cuts back to his outside foot and then finishes really beautiful to watch. But I guess we can't give him the crown quite yet. Maybe he doesn't need our approval is what we're saying. (laughs) So getting into our recap here of back to La Liga and, you know, the real only big game that mattered this week was El Clasico. Like we mentioned, Barcelona won Real Madrid three. Scott, what worked well for Real Madrid in this game?
2: So it seems to me in this game that the... Zidane got the starting 11 right. That was the key. That's something that had escaped him in the past few weeks. But this was a side that worked together really well. Uh, Nacho, surprisingly, played pretty well defensively. And then Lucas Vasquez even improved upon that. He was one of the most imp- impressive players on the pitch as the right back. Uh, but for me, what really did it was the work of the midfield. So. You know, Casemiro was allowed to be his midfield-wrecking self. He's got to have that role. Cruz, deep line playmaker, helps set the tempo. That's what was missing in, I think, the first Classico of the previous season. So, you know, I think Cruz is showing that he, along with Casemiro, needs to be in that lineup. But then you got the difference maker, Fede Valverde. Uh, His runs playing off of Asensio were just such a threat all match. So he was just consistently finding the space behind De Jong. And, you know, that put him in a position where he was then either running at Ling Lei or, you know, having track him. And Valverde is going to win that every single time. Busquets just doesn't have the legs to keep up with him anymore.
1: You know, what struck me, and and I need Jaws help in unpacking this match here. Uh, You know, Barca had 11 shots total, four shots on goal. Real Madrid had 15 shots, nine on target. And Real Madrid had uh, just an edge in terms of possession of 52%. You know, I I, I thought the first half to me still felt fairly balanced. Barca was a slight favorite uh, at the beginning of the game second half it started just going blanco 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 but you look at the second goal and I got to tell you something that to me is just still uh, it is dark arts on dark arts where it becomes a white art right I mean I just I can and of course it's Sergio Ramos right the uh, the Darth Darth Vader um, and you know the third goal was it was already done for the most part so three one in my mind, I don't know if it really signifies how unbalanced the game was. I thought at, at halftime, I still thought it could go either way. H- Alex, do you have a thought on that? Well,
0: I agree with the last point that at halftime, it could have gone either way. Um, you know, off the bat, I'd say Barcelona looked more dangerous in the first half. Ansu Fati played you know, in a higher role where you know that allowed you know Jordi Yalba to go and make that run all the way and that late run that Messi likes to drop pick up the ball and play in behind like we saw on Ansu Fati's goal so in the first half yes I think it could have gone either way but for me the second half was was clear like you were saying you know the Blancos that that was it Real Madrid took over there was a People could say suspect call on the Ramos-Lenglet incident. But for me, it's just really lazy defending. There, There's no need for, you know, Langley to, like, turn his back and, and pull with him. That doesn't make sense to me because even if Ramos is going to jump over him, you couldn't defend that in that position anyways. So he got caught going for Ramos's fake forward and then Ramos went slightly back And it's interesting because initially I thought Ramos fell the wrong way. I thought he should have, with the jersey pull, fell into Le. But looking back at the replay, I'm thinking, no, that's not the case. I think the case was that because the ball was actually behind Ramos, he jumped backwards to make it look like, to make his own case, that he could have actually made that header because he was jumping backwards and what limited him from jumping backwards was Langley pulling his Jersey. Therefore, for me, PK. Okay. Now in the, now in the English Premier League, I see Harry Maguire trying to get signed by WWE. So I'm not sure what's happening over there, Chris, but you know, in La Liga, that's a PK and in uh, EPL, that's not even a foul. (laughs)
1: Well, I, I, you're not gonna get an argument from me there, but it seems like um, La Liga and Champions League is had a little more experience than the English Premier League, uh, as shown by that miraculous non-call. Um, but you know the, the Ansu, Fati, Ansu Fati point was interesting in that 53% attacks were coming from the left side. And I guess on Real Madrid, it was 45% coming on the right side which is consistent with what you were saying earlier, Scott. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm not going to begrudge, it It was a PK. I don't know if it would really would have impacted things, but that doesn't matter, it's still a PK. Um, you know, I almost wish that they would, would, they would just start throwing players out of games uh, and then playing the ball from where the infraction occurred just to make it more interesting. I don't like XGs at 0.74, and I'm sorry I'm a goalkeeper. You're not going to be able to stamp that out. I I like to think that we still have a chance because, frankly, when Ramos hits those PKs, I don't think a keeper does have a chance. So, um, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to throw Barca completely under the bus on this one because, frankly, I think Real Madrid is playing pretty lackluster ball, and maybe it's... Maybe I'm the problem or fans are the problem in that we're expecting the top 11 to play every single game. And that might've happened in past years, but in this year, we're gonna see the second team play. We're gonna see the U23s play to your point about Choctaw. And guess what? There are gonna be surprises that are gonna happen and that might make football a whole lot funner to watch. So maybe I'm the problem in that I'm just assuming that the be- the, the the top 11 players are going to play all the time. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean I think we do as fans as analysts we need to readjust how this year is going to play out. And you know, even if it's not there was still so much talent on this pitch in El Clasico um and, you know, there's always this, that massive storyline, the, the rivalry between the two teams. It's always exciting, even if it's not the highest quality match. And, you know, even with this one, Barcelona had, what, two 17-year-olds playing. Uh, first okay. time since, like, 1948. Yeah. yeah. Um, both teams had come into this game with a La Liga loss for the first time in 17 years. And then... You know, it's you've got the Barcelona team in a little bit of a transition, going with uh, the younger players. Messi, I mean, Messi's another talking point. He, I mean, you want to talk about stats, 3 of 14 on the dribble. It's 31%. So really poor showing from him. Um, but, you know, there's so many other storylines that emerged during the game. So in this one, Real Madrid had 59% possession in the first half. That one played out evenly, you know, like you guys were saying, maybe a little bit even in Barcelona's favor. Possession totally flops or, you know, swaps in the second half. Barcelona has 56%. And all of a sudden, it's Real Madrid who looks dangerous. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, the waves uh, um, in the game, the waves of momentum, the difference in tempo, the, the little tactical decisions. I think Saddam going to his bench a little bit earlier, that helped there's always so many storylines to pick out of these games uh, you know i i don't mind that they have to uh start the younger players or or you know deviate
0: from starting 11 that they prefer I mean, alex um, what's your take yeah i think we need to shout out sam leverage our man sam because he put out a really great article and analysis on this game um scott i saw you tweet that out that was that was great um and he brought up some really great points of, you know, how the tactical battle went down between Zidane and Komen and how Zidane really got his team to take care of the center of the park and immediately react to the Ansufati threat. Maybe not immediately because the goal happened, but you could argue on that goal that, that Nacho was a little too high out of place that allowed Jordi Alba to, to get in behind for, honestly, let's be honest, Messi's, you know, biggest play of the game. Um... Which is, you know, standard by, by his standards. Um, Nacho, like you said, was decent, but we have to be really impressed with Lucas Vasquez because he comes in and I think I saw a stat where he won a ridiculous amount of duels. Like I think it was like eight eight duels he won. I think that was only less than Ramos and Varad. Yeah. So yeah. Right and that that's that's a ridiculous stat that he deserves a ton of credit for because that is definitely not easy when you're playing against, you know, that left-handed side whether it's Fati or, or Coutinho, a little more Coutinho in this game, although what happens, you know, in Messi's case is Coutinho does like to drift in the center of the park and I think that closes down space for him. Then De Jong likes to drift in the center of the park, then Busquets is in the center of the park, and let's talk about Pedri. You know, Pedri was making his Clasico debut. One of the seventeen-year-olds, or eighteen, maybe seventeen, I think, that who's making that that start, and you have to say that he wasn't very impactful or a big presence for them. I don't know if he was the right player to go with. I'm still a Trincao fan, maybe, in, on on in this case to maybe go at that left-handed side for. For, uh, against Real Madrid for Barcelona. But man, in the midfield, that's where, you know, as Sam and Scott, you were saying, like, that's where they won. As Sam was saying in his article, and as you were saying, Scott, that's where they really won in the midfield. And we talked about Casemiro last podcast and how important he would be to this game. And he dropped, took the most attacking midfielder, whoever that was for Barcelona, and put on a great performance. And then you'd have Valverde running through, Toni Kroos doing his job. And that's, that's it for me, that's why Real Madrid won, because everybody did their job, and Zidane reacted very well tactically, especially at halftime, to what Barcelona was throwing forward. And the reality is, Barcelona reacted too late with substitutions, way too late. How are you gonna sub on everyone in the 82nd minute? That's a, for me, one of Komen's biggest mistakes in this game. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, Chris, on, on Neto. Because I thought he was a decent performer until that very last goal with Marjorie scores. I think he can hold that ball when he's going down. But maybe that's a little harsh.
1: I want to talk a little bit about Norberto Morat Neto, okay? Mm-hmm. 31-year-old goalkeeper, journeyman goalkeeper, Uh, He started out in Brazil with his home team, Atletico Paranese, went to Florentina, Juve, backed up Buffon uh, for, for a couple of years, Valencia, and Barcelona. Now, he had six saves, four of which I would say are super legit. Do the math, three plus four. This could have easily been a five, six, or seven, one match if it weren't for the keeper. So I think there's something to be said about the absolute chaos of that final goal, but the game was already lost at that point. And I would just say that I'm just happy to see that kind of a loyal backup gets his chance in the El Clasico and, and he, do, he does a really strong job. So yes, maybe he could have held on to it. Yes, maybe he could have been a little more um, calm once once he got up and, worked on the set position, but come on, Modric, that, the way he bent it through is ridiculous, right? You just, there. what are there, maybe 10 people on the planet that can, that can do, have the presence of mind and bend it around a defender like that on a broken play. So I, I want to give him the unsung hero of, of that because Barca would be sweating the blues a whole lot more if it weren't with, for, without Neto.
0: I do want to sing the praises though of uh, Sergino Sergio Dest and how he dealt with Vinicius Jr. Mm-hmm. I we got to shout him out. You know, as an American, I thought first American ever by the way to be in El Clasico. So, you know, what an achievement. Hats off, you know, clap for him and to deal with Vinicius Jr., who is arguably one of the best one v one players in La Liga, maybe in in the, in world football. That was not an easy task. And I do remember, you know, there was this one play, I think it was the second half where Vinicius was, was doing his shifty-shifty movement, and then he made that chop to go down the line, but, but Dest read it very early and put his body in between. I think he's, he's definitely a player that Barcelona can turn into a legitimate starting right back and perhaps one of the best right backs in La Liga you guys agree? Yeah, definitely.
1: That yeah, absolutely. W- what I can't get over is the age of these right. players now, right? We had two 17-year-olds, one 19-year-old. H- how is it that that in certain positions probably, right? Wingers, you would think help help me unpack that, Scott. How is it that youth um now In terms of star strikers, they're still over the age of 30 for the most part. But help me unpack the fact, how is it that younger players can get in in first teams more nowadays than it seems like in the past?
2: It does seem like it's mostly in the wings that we're seeing the youth really emerge. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think at that point, you are looking at there's fewer miles on the legs. Um, There's still that that great burst of speed and still the, the agility necessary to really be effective 1v1 players and you know you look at a player like Marcelo, um as he's hit his late 20s early 30s performance level really declines for those those wingers um he, he just looks heavy-legged at times so for me when i look at the outside back position in particular it seems like it is 23 24 that these guys are hitting peak and by 27, 28, uh, we're seeing them transition into uh, you know maybe more more of a stay-at-home role within their teams. So, Paul now you know we see him playing a little bit deeper. Jordi Alba for Barcelona, I think he mostly stays higher up the pitch and doesn't have responsibilities. And that's where you, know, you get a guy like De Jong, who is tasked with covering for him. Right. So as they age, yeah,
1: you, you need to. So Alex, I know you have the legs of a 19 year old and in in your position, they don't peak until what is Sergio 31 now or 32. So you got another decade or 12 years to play ball.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Right. I think Scott makes a good point. It's easier to put, and I've seen this in my own career too, it's easier to put very young players in attacking roles because the risk is, is not as high. I think it comes down to that. When you put in a young goalkeeper and I, I always think back to to David De Gea at Man United when he first came and he wasn't even close to being developed. And, you know, he may be making a ton of mistakes, especially on, on those crosses coming in because he just wasn't ready. But when the coach really backs you, if you're a goalkeeper or one of the defenders, and in this case, I think uh, Sergino Des is really getting backed by the manager, you can start to see, you know, they play beyond their years. And all of a sudden that really you know, starts to get extremely encouraging. I think of Alfonso Davies' situation because they can all of a sudden, we're talking about market value, they can erupt. And now Alfonso Davies, you know, clause to leave is I don't even know how much money, but he is such an asset to that club, not only on the pitch, but, you know, off the pitch as well. And he's what, 20 years old? Like, come on. That's the encouraging side, the business side of, bringing in young players and, you know, making them in, or growing them into these these, these big-time stars. But going back to your point about that being in a center back or defensive role, that's somewhere on the pitch where you got to be 10 out of 10, do your job. Goalkeepers, same thing. For me, it's even more crucial, 10 out of 10, maybe 11 out of 10, do your job, right? And I think maybe look at a young Varane, that was a special player you know, to come in and just – you know, play with that extreme confidence. Look at a young Kunde for for Sevilla, another special player. Garcia for City, who potentially might go back to Barcelona. Has to be said, those those players are are difficult to find, but you do still see, you know, the center backs and and especially in those the right back and left back more often than center back is young players making more of an impact in world football for sure.
2: Alex. I mean, for you, is it more of an issue with tactical intelligence at that age that hasn't developed or psychological maturity, you know, showing up every day?
0: I don't know if it's technical. Um, I think it's it's more of a confidence factor slash mentality slash tactical awareness. So I think technical is where they might actually be at the same level, maybe even a little more superior because you can ask them to, you know, maybe do some one-v-one defending. They're really good in training, or maybe they're really good at hitting the ball diagonally with both feet or good at finding the entry ball or good at really good at heading the ball out. But then you put them into a game situation where there's a lot of pressure where you're, let's imagine you're playing against guys like Diego Costa and Suarez. If you're playing Atletico Madrid, it's a whole different animal. For me, it's the, it's the mental side of the game more than the tactical and maybe too a little physical. When you're a center back and you're really starting to grow into your body at you know maybe 23, 24, and you start to hit your peak when you're like 26, 27, 28. If you're Ramos in this case, 30s or other players too, 30s like Chiellini too. Like it's it's experience and understanding you know where to move. I think that's that's really the key um, side of the game. And like you know, like Chris says for goalkeepers too. That's this it's the same thing for goalkeepers as well. But young players, like we said, are definitely making a, a massive impact. Um, I did want to just go back and have a couple more points on this El Clasico game. One is, how do we feel about the emerging role of Frankie de Jong in this Barcelona side in that midfield? We talked, Chris, or Scott, you talked a little bit about, you know, how he has to cover for Jordi Alba when Jordi Alba goes all the way up, but with Busquets. Defensive per- performance or really lack of performance. What does that mean for De Jong's role? Does he need a different type of player next to him in order for this Barcelona side to be more successful?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, they're asking way too much of him right now. He's—I don't know. I, I mean, Alex from watching, do you think he—he he fills more of a, a an eight role, like a box box midfielder? Because that's yeah, and I that's, don't that's just.
0: Right. And I'll answer that too, is I don't think that's his role. If you look back at Ajax, you know, his role is not to be this destroyer. He is a exceptional creator and he does win the ball back a decent amount, but when you're getting paired with, and I am a big fan of Busquets, but just lately it's, it's just not been the The system's not working. And I think we look at the first goal and I know you were mentioning that you really thought Busquets didn't didn't do his job in that role i argue too that not only busquets but langley didn't really do his job well enough in that role he slid over too much pk gets caught going out a little bit it's that heart is everything and we talked about carlos puyol in in past uh, uh past podcasts that's when you really felt like there's a secure heart of the field that they're really hard to play against And now every team that's approaching Barcelona, it just feels like if you can attack that heart, that central part of the field, they are so vulnerable. And that just needs to be cleaned up. I do not know the answer to that question of how it can be cleaned up if it's just literally getting all new personnel. But going back to this Frankie de Jong talk, it, it. we're just not seeing his best qualities right now. He can, do more, he can do more. And I think this system is actually not allowing him to do more. You can see him getting really frustrated, especially in that second half, alongside Messi, who was extremely frustrated after that, that PK call as well. And that's just, again, like last year we talked about, contagious bad energy that seeps through the entire team seems to the entire club and that will continue on if it's not fixed.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's, I don't know, De Jong almost seems displaced at times. In this match in particular, we saw Messi even dropping all the way into De Jong's role. Like that, that one pass that he had on the goal, that was from where you would see De Jong play. So, I don't know, I I just, I don't know if he's, really carved out his role in this system. I don't know if the system caters to him at all. We did see him as a little bit more of a dynamic playmaker at IX, and that's not where Barca really seems to, to want the playmaker or,
0: or need it. Right, and I thought the last point um, for me and on El Clasico, and if you guys have no further points too, we can move on, but Marco Asensio, you know, really important role, I thought, in this match too, um, played a really important role on the defensive side. And Vinicius did as well, to, to his credit, where they really would drop in and deal with that wide spot so that Real Madrid, you know, could really take care of the center of the park, which caused Barca a lot of frustration, as we mentioned. You know, but Asensio saying basically, you know, Alba, if you're going to go all the way up the field, you better be ready for me to drag Lingley out. That's a problem. That's a problem. And I don't, I don't know what the solution to that is either, because you can't have Alba just stay back and, and be conservative. That's not going to happen. Look at the first goal. You know, you need you need Alba to to be up the field because that's really one of Barcelona, if not their most dangerous play, is that Messi to Alba to cross it in. And that's becoming a little too predictable. So credit to Asensio, credit to Real Madrid, credit to you, Scott. Big time, big time performance, big time three points. To Villa lost again. To to a bar one zero that's you know quite disappointing for Sevilla that's three games where they're they're not they've gone from you know we talked about in previous podcasts especially you Chris you know we thought they were real title contenders here I'm not sure if you know that's really looking like it now based off some of the recent performances but maybe it's a little too early to you know, to call them out and say that they don't have a chance to do it. They definitely do, but it looks like it's a, it's in a bad spot. Atletico Madrid beat a good bit side with the likes of Christian Taylor and Fekir um, two zero Suarez, man, he's back on the score sheet again. You know, what can, what more can we say about this player in this system, guys? It looks like he's really fitting in.
1: This is all I can say. He scored four out of Atletico Madrid's nine goals and, uh, Barça has got 9 goals and that puts them about 4th or 5th in terms of goal production. I just I I think it's was a, it was a foolish mistake. I I I understand the need to go young, but if you need to win particularly in a transition year, funky year, I just feel like it was a, tra- a tremendous loss to Barça and a tremendous gift to Atletico Madrid. You know, go Atletico, I guess on that.
0: Absolutely. let's preview some matches here um we'll briefly preview a couple of la liga matches you know before we dive deeper into some more let's be honest exciting champions league fixtures uh the big one for me guys this week is we've just spoken about sevilla how will they respond against a struggling side in bilbao but a side that definitely shouldn't be taken lightly. what do you think scott
2: Yes, Sevilla will have much of the ball in this game. Though they've struggled this year, they, they do defend against the counterattack pretty well. So I, I think they'll have enough to see off Bilbao's attack, especially since Bilbao is not exactly uh, known for lighting up the scoreboard. So you know, for Sevilla, can, can they break through? Can they get around that low block and, and show a little bit more of a, a lethal quality in this match? They really should have beat Ivar. They, they had three or four really good opportunities in the second half that they just didn't close out. I think Diego Carlos missed from three yards out in this one. So, I mean, they, they should win this game. But again, this is 2020. Who knows?
0: Who knows indeed? Who knows indeed? And Real Madrid take on Huesca, Barcelona take on Deportivo Alavés. I think it'd be a stretch. To say anything less than an easy win for both groups, I don't know if I'm being disrespectful to those two teams. I hope I am, and they're interesting games. But I don't don't really see anything less than a win, Scott. What do you think?
2: I would say is watch out for Huesca's low block. They managed to hold Atletico Madrid to a 0-0 draw and looked fairly comfortable doing it. And that's Barcelona's kryptonite. Mm -hmm.
0: So, uh, watch out. It it really is. Low blocks have, have caused Barcelona a lot of issues, especially in this last year. Speaking of potential low blocks, Barcelona has to face an Italian team called Juventus on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, perhaps one of the kings at the low blocks and counterattacking... The Italians, not only Italians, but Juventus as well. Chris Scott, what can we expect from this amazing, supposed to be incredible matchup and tactical battle here?
1: I'm going to give you the the, the top line stuff, and Scott, you could you could pick it up from there. I think we've got basically wounded warriors here. That uh, you know, it's it is your box of chocolates match, I'm not sure what we're going to get, right? I mean, the the, the number of injuries, COVID, I'm still trying to figure out lineups, quite honestly. Um, and it's, Juve has not been what it has been, right? Uh, While well, is it? Barca is certainly in that category. So I am a little disappointed. I wanted the best 11 to play against the best 11. We're not going to get that. Um, but, Scott, help us unpack that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, Chris, you're right. Definitely a rough start for Juve. Two wins, three draws in five games. Um, still a 10-4 goal differential on league, But it, it's really the absences in this game that will make such a difference. Yeah, Alex, you already mentioned PK's out, picked up the red card. Uh, Ter will still be out. And you've also got Umtiti, who's out for this match. So, Right. I guess, you know, Ara- Araujo slips into the starting lineup. Definitely. Um, <laughs> same case for Juventus. They're just running out of center backs. Chiellini, uh, Bonucci, and Dele- or Delecht all out for this match. Um, so I think you see Danilo slide in. Um, but, yeah, I, I think for Pirlo, it's, you know, what kind of a starting shape do you go with, especially knowing that you don't have Cristiano Ronaldo up top. So
0: this game's a wild card, Alex. I, I'm really not sh- not sure what. To I'm really do. not sure either. Um, you know, I'm hoping this is an opportunity. I'm looking at it from a player perspective. You know, we we just talked about earlier in the podcast how this you know really tight string of games can really be a struggle for teams that play the same starting eleven all the time. Now, this can absolutely be a chance for someone to make their case. The players that are not in the starting 11 and that have maybe one or two days of training in between where they only showcase a 5v5, 6v6, 2v2s, 1v1s and you know they're really aching to get some 11v11 football. So maybe because of that we can see a better game. I think I'm just being too much of a positive and optimist here because let's be honest any game where we could have seen a Cristiano Ronaldo versus Lionel Messi, and we're not going to have that, is always, no matter what, going to be a letdown. No matter what. We were hoping for this. I think it's been a while since you know we've had that matchup. Coutinho is also out. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, Scott, but apparently he's, he's out with a hamstring injury. Untiti just recently said that you know, the only club he wants to play for is FC Barcelona after all that long transfer talk and them wanting him out and his poor, poor performances. You know, I'm personally still a fan of his. I think he could turn things around and become, you know, pivotal in this Barcelona side. PK out with the red card. Like you said, Araujo is going to come in. I do expect Sergio Dest to start after that performance. And I said that hesitantly because, you know, Sergio Roberto is still... An important part of this squad. Alba on the left, Araujo, Langley in the middle. Where I don't know in terms of the defense is the goalkeeper spot. Chris, Neto or Ter Stegen, If Ter Stegen's back.
1: Uh, I think it's Neto for now though. I'm hearing rumors that Ter Stegen really wants to be back. So uh, it could be the weekend where Ter Stegen comes back is probably the sensible thing to do. But Allison came back uh, two two weeks early, two or three weeks early because he wants to play ball.
0: Right. And another interesting part for the Barcelona side before we maybe go into the Juve side a little bit is is what the midfield's going to look like. We all know it's going to be De Jong. That's for sure. You know, is, is Pjanic going to get a shot? Because he played in the last Champions League game. He was decent. But after this last performance with Busquets, in the midfield in El Clásico against a team that really made life difficult in the middle of the park and can counterattack so quickly. I think Juve is in the same boat there where they can really make life difficult centrally and then, you know, with some really quick players higher up the field, is counterattack this Barcelona side. What do you expect there, Scott, in the middle of the park? I mean, from a defensive standpoint,
2: I don't think you get anything different with Pjanic. True. That's true. I mean, the only advantage I see is, you know, maybe if Juve, which I'm not entirely sure they'll do, Pjanic is probably a better option to help spray the ball wide. Um, Barcelona does expect Pirlo to drop his side back a little bit deeper. Then, yeah, Pjanic would make sense. So, he and De Jong could fit into the midfield. Uh, I I don't know Alba. I'm not sure. So my argument against Alba is that he is coming back from injury. He is a little bit older, so maybe you move Des to the left, have Roberto on the right. Uh, but for me, if they are going up against a tight Juventus defense, what do you do up top?
0: Because that's that that is still an issue. Does Griezmann play? Right. Uh... I don't think Griezmann starts the game. Um, I'm looking at Fati. I mean that would yeah that would be a a really, you know, sl- big slap in the face from Coman to tell Griezmann when Coutinho is out injured that he's still going to remain on the bench. I'm going to say the same thing again. I should I think I think it should be Rincao, Messi, Fatih. That's my opinion. Um I don't know if I think Griezmann just closes the field too much in that in that situation. But maybe he comes on and, and makes a, a massive performance. What I'm interested to to see is is this Juventus side with Álvaro Marata looking decent, right? He knows this team very well. He obviously played in he's Spanish. He's played in the Spanish league a lot. I think he causes a lot of problems for these center backs. Paulo Dibala right behind him too same thing. Aaron Ramsey looks decent. Okay. Not, not in his best form. What about Arturo? I'm questioning, can he even play in this match? Is there a specific clause that says he can't play against his former Barcelona team?
1: I don't, I'm not aware of, of that at all. I think uh, he's going to have a little bit of uh, extra juice. Right. Just in the same way that I think Dubala and uh, Morata are going to have where it's the, they they want to be shown love right and this is their opportunity to be outside of the ronaldo shadow uh and for murata to say i'm you know i am the real deal um you know at juve he was very much beloved wasn't necessarily the most prolific goal scorer on his first stint but he made some very high profile goals particularly in the champions league in the past so there's plenty of love there for him, but he wants to earn it in this unique situation. And I'm curious to see how their offenses is 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 run. You know, it, it hasn't been running great without Ronaldo, quite candidly, in the last few matches.
0: Right. And I'm really curious, too, to see – I think the biggest question here is how is Andrea Pirlo going to respond tactically to this Barcelona side because he is probably one of the smartest players – to ever play the game. His soccer IQ was so high. And he really sees, you know, everything, you know, as a player, obviously, in the middle of that park. But I, you know, I have to assume that he knows this Barcelona side very well. I read his book, I Think Therefore I Play, and he actually almost signed for Barcelona. He had a secret meeting with with Pep Guardiola. He was this close to signing, but ultimately, I think he was going to be the fourth midfielder. We'd have to rotate with Iniesta, Xavi, and Busquets. So that wasn't, you know, that wasn't his destiny. But I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how he thinks Barcelona is beatable. And if that's the same way that Barcelona is beatable in the mind of Zinedine Zidane, in the mind of, you know, some of the smaller teams in La Liga that have caused them problems, maybe in the mind of Sevilla, although I don't think that's how they're going to approach it, maybe in a Sevilla sense. I'm just really excited about that side, the tactical side, where maybe he thinks maybe just the solution is just to sit and low block, and that's just how it should be. That's how Barcelona loses. But then it becomes a, a point where I think for Barcelona's case, it becomes a little bit of insanity. Where you're, how are you going to lose to low block teams all the time, all the time? I think that's a little too much. But you know, more frequently than you should be losing to low block teams. I just, I just don't know how you can continue, you know, to have those specific same problems. And I think the problem lies in the stubborn philosophy at times to not change with the evolving way football, you know, is going into. Is, am I, am I making a, a decent case, Scott, or is it, is it just, yeah? So, I mean,
2: for me. I think Juve goes with the middle block, uh, maybe sets that midfield line of confrontation and they just it's having numbers behind the ball. Because the midfield they do have, you know, it's maybe not the most creative. But when you look at Arthur, Rabio, I, I think they'll look to be hard working in the midfield. My question though is, you know, what do they do with that back line? And because they have so many injuries with that back line, does that force them a little bit deeper? Mm. Um so, you know, maybe they go with the low block, Alex, because they know it works against Barcelona and because they have so many injuries. Um, but yeah, do they go with three like he has in uh, the recent past, but three, four, one, two, or does he drop back to a, a four back system because he only has two healthy center backs, or really one and a half
0: with Danilo? I don't right. know. No, I, yeah. expect, I expect the back three. Um, I think Cuadrado and Bernadeschi fill in on the, the wide wing back spots and create that five, and every everything goes a little bit more centrally. Whether I think it's Rabiot who will probably get the start too, if it's alongside Arthur, we'll see. And then they close that up, and then they really bank on DiBala and Marata countering this weak center of the park, like like both, you know, like we're all saying. But you know, there's something to be said about losing your leaders at the back. I think, Juventus is is, is far from you know not being vulnerable. They are definitely vulnerable to to a, a good Barcelona side, especially in the attack. But we'll have to wait and see. Chesney could be a big player, Chris, in this game too, depending on you know how he how he approaches the game. But I think he's he's, he's been really decent in this role for Juventus coming up and you know from Buffon's shadow and now he's the main guy to go to
1: yeah you know what I remarked on last season was just how including post COVID or post pause he was just really solid and he really saved Juve a couple of times where you know Juve only beat out Inter by a point and um you know Chesney is is worth every penny. you know what I'm curious just for for grins, I wonder if uh, you know it, it'd be nice to see Buffon out there. Um, he's still on the roster um, just just for the sake of the old guys that I'm cheering for at a at a young 42 years old uh, so um, but no, I think Chesney's going to have probably have some um, um, big opportunities to show well uh, during the match.
0: Yep, Fatih plus Pedri does not equal Buffon. So he's got double the experience there.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Exactly so,
0: right. What do we think in terms of score lines just to wrap it up for this game? Chris? Uh,
1: I think it's going to be 2 1 either way. All right.
0: I'm saying a 1 1 draw. I'll go 2 1 Barca. All right. Man of the match. Fati. Fatih. Chris?
1: Easy. Chesney.
2: You really want to say Messi, don't you? Uh,
0: I want to say Messi. <laughs> I'm going to go with Messi. Yeah, I'm going to do Messi. I was going to say De Jong, but I thought about it, and I just don't think that can happen in this system. So we'll have to see how that game plays out Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you tune in. Atletico Madrid takes on Salzburg, not Red Bull Leipzig, Red Bull Salzburg, and not Red Bull New York, Red Bull Salzburg, because there's a lot of Red Bulls out there. So what do we expect after they're thumping from Bayern? Is, is that not even going to be in their mindset at all, Scott?
2: I don't think so. And when you look at Salzburg, uh, Jesse Marsh coach team, they are very expansive, very dynamic, young and attacking and... I think that plays into Atletico's hands. So they'll let Salzburg have the ball. They'll let them get numbers forward. They'll let them try to interact higher up the pitch, and then they'll hit them on the counterattack. So I, I think Atletico should walk away with probably a two-goal margin in this one.
0: Right, and I think I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if, if Carrasco and Jao Felix start, I thought Carrasco, you know, had a decent performance in the last game. He almost scored a a worldie of a goal on the curler off the post. Um, And then, right. And then Jao Felix has been, he's been in and out. Uh, I don't know is, he was a little bit of a flop or disappointment last season, right? Is, is that just young age or is that? I think that was really bad career advice.
2: Really, yeah. So, I mean, with my, my Portuguese heritage, I, I follow the Portuguese national players really closely.
0: Right, and it seems like Lucas Torreira is is definitely you know, coming into his own in that midfield, alongside you know a very class player in in Koke, you know, who bleeds Atletico Madrid red. O Black, obviously, leader for them at the back. And on Lodi, we've we've t- Lodi, we talked about him. How about Kyrian Trippier? We don't see many Englishmen in La Liga. Why is that, Scott? Like, why don't we see that more often?
2: I think it's just the, the level of competition and the wages in England. Um, you could probably make the case that there's not that nice, easy transition in terms of playing style. Um, but yeah, you could, I think when Trippia came over, he did mention that he liked the prospect of going to a new league and testing himself in a new uh, footballing culture, so I mean, credit to him for doing it, and you know, I think he does give them that little bit of veteran leadership that right now they don't necessarily uh, have otherwise
0: on that back line. Um, yeah, he's he's been a really good fit, definitely solid. Chris, do you have anything to add on on this Atletico Madrid side?
1: Um, uh, I know the sports books consider them heavy favorites, a huge payout if. If Salzburg wins, um, so you know, I, I, you guys, you know, I'll go ahead and out myself. I, I still picked Barca to win La Liga. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm wondering if Atletico Madrid just kind of does Atletico Madrid and ends up coming in in a second and, and maybe even contending on a soft Real Madrid. So, uh. It'll be interesting. I think Atletico Madrid will continue to go deep in Champions League, right? And, you know, uh, the sports books had said that Juve, Barcelona, it's literally a flip of a coin. They don't, they're don't. they not taking a position. They're just going to take their 10%. But on this one, Atletico, Atletico, Atletico.
0: I agree. I think we all agree that you know, Atletico will, will take the game, but... Like like you mentioned, Scott Salzburg is is no easy task. Mm-hmm. Real Madrid takes on Munchen Gladbach. They'll be rocking sky high after this Clasico win. Should be a big confidence booster, in my opinion. That you know they've they've beat Barcelona twice in this crazy twenty twenty year, and that it's really looking like you know they're the dominant team in Spain. And I think it's not even looking like that is the case, especially in these last few years. Champions League is their league it's their trophy still in my opinion even after last year's showing so scott what can we expect from from this game against a good german team
2: yeah so they'll find that this borussia which gladbach team does not play with fear that they will build out of the back in most cases they'll invite that real madrid high press uh much like we saw uh, with Shakhtar. So if they can effectively pull Real Madrid out, and if Real Madrid's high press is not on, this game could get open, it, and that does favor Borussia Gladbach. they They're very good at picking out their uh, their targets higher up the pitch. So uh, defensively, no slouches either. So it's, it's a test for Real Madrid, and you know, not necessarily a welcome one after that disappointment against Shakhtar. Chris, what do you
1: think? I, I agree with you. I mean, we just talked about how one team that went with a system plus intensity ended up upsetting Real Madrid. And right now, the sports books are saying that Real Madrid is a a strong favorite, not a huge one like like Atletico Madrid. And I don't know. I, I think that if if you're Real Madrid, you might want to keep your – your heart below your throat and your sphincter loose because this is going to get pretty tight here, pretty um, uh, sort of match. I, I think if, there, if there's a surprise this week, it's a bit of a no-brainer. This could be the big surprise.
0: Right. Mucin is a good team. Um, fun fact, they also have Lillian Terem's son, Marcus Terem. He's a, he's a winger. So Lillian Terem, for anyone who doesn't know, legendary French center back known for being a really, really tough player, World Cup winner. And then his son has gone on to play for the French national team. And, and he's actually playing in an attacking role. He's scoring goals in, in France. I actually saw him play when I was playing in France. Really good player. You know, he could cause problems for this Real Madrid side. Last thing before we move on to Sevilla versus Rennes, do we expect any changes to the lineup? Scott, or same exact team that went out against Barcelona?
2: Oh, man, I hope it's the same team. Because uh, that did work out really well. So, I guess at right back, the one change at the starting lineup is probably Vasquez. I don't know that Marcelo's ready for uh, reinsertion into the lineup after that performance against Shakhtar, uh, especially since Mendy really looked out of place on
0: the Right. Right. And then the last game to wrap up the Champions League previews is Sevilla versus Rennes. Rennes coming off a loss in Ligue 1 against Angers, 2-1. Sevilla coming off two losses and a tie in Champions League against Chelsea. Do we expect a big response from Sevilla here, guys, or are they going to fall into this kind of dark momentum of things aren't going well, so they're going to continue not to go well.
2: Um, you know, you could make the case that the results uh, against Chelsea was a positive, so at least in Champions League, which I think they're prioritizing, because if you're there, you want to get to the knockout rounds and make the big money. Mm-hmm. So this has the making of a fairly high scoring affair. I could see it being a maybe a 3-2, 2-1. Right. But yeah, I I think Sevilla definitely has the quality to see them out. You know, they they just yeah, not sure what's uh, what disconnect they're having right now. They're still making the progress into the box, but that's really the one seeming to click. So I I think it's just a matter of time.
1: Well, I I want us to keep in mind that Ren is third in the in um, but they've given up ten goals compared to PSG's and Lille's three and eight of Marseille. And I got one name for you is Mindy, right? I really think that Mindy, helped, I mean, it put Ren on his back and, and carried him into the Champions League uh, this last year. And he's not there now, uh, which is Ren's uh, loss and, and Chelsea's great benefit. So that's where I see that Sevilla – you know, it's kind of like Atletico Madrid in that they just, they get banged up, they get dinged, but they always seem to be at the right place at, at the end of the season. And um, I, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed watching Sevilla. Last season, I thought was a real, it was, it was, a, it was a great season for them. You know, it didn't work out as, as maybe as high as much as they'd hoped, but I think they're going to have, we're going to have some fun in them watch playing Champions League ball.
0: I completely agree. And a couple players to look out for, and maybe one in particular for Rennes. We mentioned Mendy. Obviously, he's gone on the defensive side. But the attacking side, they have a good young player coming up through the ranks. Eduardo Camavinga, who has made his debut with the full French national team. He's got some serious, serious, serious talent. If he continues to, to progress, Didier Deschamps is very high on him. So he could... Really cause a, you know a few issues for this Sevilla so side if they're not careful because he is playing at sky high confidence right now and that's what happens usually when you're young and you come in you're you're doing well you don't really have any fear and that's what it seems like he's he's playing with right now is is no fear and Zanzi is another one who who Didier Deschamps is obviously very high on he has him in that World Cup squad and he always makes the French camps at defensive midfielder role he likes to pull the strings almost like an old school abu Dhabi for arsenal type or you know a holding mid if paul pogba was a little bit more of a holding mid not as much flair obviously you got those long legs and breaks up a lot of plays in the midfield you know that could be an issue too for sevilla but overall you know having said all of that couple players to look out for but I mean, I I, th- I do believe this is going to be a Sevilla win, and they're going to respond. Um, and they're usually very good in Europe, so lot to look forward to, gentlemen, this week. That was that was a, that was a lot of games we had to we had to unpack. But uh, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. Big thank you to Chris and Scott for your fantastic insights today, as always. We would like to thank Total Football Analysis Solutions. Go check out www.totalfootballanalysis.com. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. See you next week and hasta luego.